I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? Happy Friday. Now, usually you're used to hearing my voice, you're used to hearing Will's voice, or whoever it may be that's on the show. But somebody that you, all of you know better than me, and you're probably not used to hearing his voice has joined me today, and that's the original OG, the blog father, and Mr. Jeff Clark. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. As I always say in things like this, the reason you don't hear my voice very often is because I have a, a face and a voice for blogging. Oh, I've definitely got a face for radio. I'll fill you on that one. <laughs> definitely, definitely got a face for radio. It's uh, it's tough, though, because radio and um, video are kind of slowly merging into one mm-hmm. aspect. So it's like, damn, now I need to try and actually make an effort with my appearance just because the camera. Well, you, you've got the accent already, so that's, that's kind of fun. So it's, a, it's a new twist on things that people aren't used to. So yeah, roll with it, man. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, everybody listening, I thought we'd do something a little bit different today. So we're still going to talk some Celtics basketball, obviously, because we'd be wasting everybody's time if we didn't. But before that, I'm sure a lot of people that read and listen to Celtics blog haven't been around since the start because, you know, at the beginning, there's usually 10 to 15 people reading the stuff and then it grows exponentially. I've been on the 10 to 15 side. I'm still waiting for the exponential side to kick in. Um, Jokes aside, Let's just jump in straight to the rise and rise of Celtics blog because it's still becoming like every time you check Twitter, it's an extra thousand followers here, an extra thousand followers there. So it's it's still growing. Obviously, you've passed the hyper growth phase, but how did everything start? Like, where did Celtics blog originate from? Oh man, um, let's go into the way, way, way back machine because you know it, it was essentially started in 2004. So there was. You know, there's, there's writers on the blog that are right around 17 years old that, that weren't born by that point, or may have been born by that point, but weren't out of diapers yet, right? So, um, it you know, it, it essentially started with me passing emails back and forth with my friends about the Celtics and getting them annoyed at me, and they were saying, you know, we don't really care about the Celtics. You go start a go start a blog or something like that. I said, you know what, that's not a bad idea. I think I'll try that. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the infancy of blogs at that time. They were still, you know, Blogspot and, and things like that were the were the, the platforms for, for hosting. And, um, you know, I think our big break came when um, the Boston.com, which was, you know, the old Boston Globe site, uh, closed down their chat room. And, you know, I said, hey, I know how to, to well, I did some quick research and cut and paste some some code into my URL and figured out how to add a chat room to my blog and said, hey, all you folks over here, why don't you come over to my blog? And there was a, it was a, it was a good break for me to, to create a base of, of, I don't call them followers, but, you know, they're people that were attracted to my site for a reason and I, I wanted to keep writing to give them a reason to stay on the site. So, um, you know, that, that worked out really well and, and we built from there. So it, it was a, Different time, a different um, a different space at that time on the internet, um, and you know, th- it's I, I just take credit for the fact that we've um, we've been around for forever, and so any any momentum now is just sort of building upon itself. You know, I always try to 
build and, and grow the blog and, and push boundaries and say, what are, what are we doing great and what, and what do we need to improve upon? What, you know, how can we think outside the box? But, uh, you know, at this point, I think we're, we're largely relying on our momentum to keep going forward. I mean, that momentum's huge, though. Like, it's widely um, known that Celtics blog, or wide, I believe it's widely known Celtics blog's the number one independent Celtics site out there. You can be on any social media platform, and as soon as they see that you um, you produce work for Celtics Blog, they're like, hey, I know that website. I love their stuff. Mm-hmm. They may not be avid readers, but they definitely check in like you know, once or twice a week to see what's new on the, on the page. But for yeah. me, go on, sorry, carry on. Oh, I was going to say, I, I, well, I appreciate that. You know, I was joking with you earlier. I have a little bit of um, uh, imposter syndrome. Like, yeah, it, it, but I, I kind of balance that out with a little bit of, of perspective. You know, like I don't consider myself the best blogger ever. You know, that's that was never the the, the goal and never really what uh, I think of myself as. Um, it's more about creating the best blog platform and and creating a space for people to interact about the Celtics. And that's 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 really my my driving force is giving creative people like yourself a, a platform to reach people and giving you know an audience a, a place to to learn more, to to interact and to develop in a, a community. And the the other thing I, I neglected to 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 talk about in terms of the start of the Celtics blog is, I needed a community. Like I moved away from the Boston area when I was in college uh, and I, I craved someone to talk, you know, Boston sports about and specifically the Celtics. And I found that through message boards and chat rooms and things like that. And I wanted to create a, a place for that to happen. And, you know, thank, you know, thankfully that things have worked out so that we've got this, this blog that, that is achieving that. So I'm, I'm very humbled and, and happy about that. For me, as somebody that's definitely not in the Boston area, having somewhere like that where you can go and even just kind of put your finger on the pulse of how the fans are feeling, just in the comment section. Obviously, sometimes there's some really funny comments or discussions going back and forth. But as a general rule of thumb, if you're trying to gauge how the fans are feeling about a specific move or how they're feeling about the front office or players, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the comment section really does give you that quick hit of like, hey, this is this is the way that the narratives are currently trending amongst the fan base which is awesome because that just goes to show how much the fans value the platform that you've put out there anyway absolutely and as long as you don't focus on any one or two particular voices you can, you can kind of read it like um like the you know neo reads the the matrix you have to sift through all the the, the noise to come up with the the, the trends and, and the pulse of the, of the fans so it's 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 a lot of fun Another part of the momentum for the Celtics blog as well, which I personally think is a huge driving force, is the talent development that you guys have done over the years. Kevin O'Connor being obviously the most notable, but Chris Grenham, Keith is obviously there, Keith Smith. There's like a ridiculous amount of talent that's passed through the doors, and I'm sure there's names that I'm not aware of that I should be. Um, Shout out Jared Weiss, shout out Greg Casoli, Jimmy Toscano, lots of names. And that's it's just crazy that you've produced as like one entity just one website on the interweb among billions there's so much talent that's been produced from like celtics blog and gone out into the media world whether they're covering nba or doing radio or video or in jared's case the athletic and obviously kevin at the ringer how much of that is down to just the guys putting in a bunch of hard work and the fact that celtics blog is so big 
that it all kind of comes to be this perfect storm? Uh, obviously, it's a little bit of both. I mean, the the blog can give you a platform, but it's all what you do with that platform, right? You know, the the hustlers and and the hard workers are the ones that 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 have a a, a vision and a goal to to make this their livelihood and and things like that. And the and they're really the people that that put in the work and see the 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 growth and success of their work come out. You know. Kevin was just a, a prime example. I mean, he, he worked tirelessly on the Celtics, but he also did draft work kind of in the background and, and really, you know, worked hard at that and, be, and made himself a, a, a name for himself with that and just grew it from there. And you've seen all the many skills that he has coming out. And same thing with, you know, Jared Weiss. He's just a hard worker, really focusing on, on lots of different items and, um, rounding out his skills. I mean, and, and you're doing the same stuff, Adam. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing from you as I, as I saw from those guys and see nothing but great things for you. Um, you just, like I said, it's a, it's a platform. It's a, it's a, it's a canvas. You, you create what you want from this canvas and you know, yes, it's, and that's, that's great for, for, for the people going on to, to bigger and better, better things. And we love, training and, and developing people. But, you know, obviously Celtics blog gets a lot of benefit from that too. We get lots of content and, and it, it grows the site and it's kind of a, um, you know, th- that growth creates more people wanting to write for the site, which creates more growth and it's, it's, it feeds on itself. And that, that's the kind of momentum that I'm talking about. First of all, thank you very much for putting me in the same breath as those guys. Uh, definitely, definitely. I'm not nowhere near that yet. But it's true, like everyone that comes out, every time you churn out a new medium and that, it, everybody else takes notice, right? Like, oh, well, if I can get in at Celtics blog, it's the first step along the way. And then we can start walking down that path. And it is tough, like um, the amount of work that got, and the imposter syndrome that you mentioned earlier is something that I'm sure everybody who's trying to do this kind of battles with 95% of the time. But the platform that everybody's got and being able to like for me, I, I think you said this early on was like, um, you use the, or it might've been on a previous podcast you did with John Caradas a few years back. And you were saying you use the comment section as a form of kind of editorial feedback. Yeah. And I, I think that's like a really good way of looking at it because if somebody's like this piece comes off obnoxious or it comes off condescending, well then you can go back and look at the tone you used and kind of scrub that for next time. And you can learn that way too. So it is a perfect storm of the platform and the work ethic. Uh, it's, it really is crazy how quickly um, it snowballs for people once they start putting in that work. And as I said earlier, like every time you check in on the Twitter page or the Facebook page, it just seems to have jumped by two, three, four thousand at a time. Yeah. And, and any good writer, any good, you know, blogger, podcaster, whatever has to have a balance, right? On one hand, we all love the sound of our own voice, right? That the reason we're writing is because we have something to say. We have, the reason we're talking on the podcast is because, you know, we think our opinions have weight and, and, and matter. But at the same time, there has to be that balance of humility and, and say, look, I know I'm not the best at my craft. I know I'm not the, you know, the, the ultimate at this. How can I keep learning? How can I keep developing my voice, developing how I go about my my my, my work here. And it's a, a continual process of, of, you know, uh, Brad Stevens would call it, you know, progress or, or um, growth mentality. I mean, you know, go ahead and do what you do, be empowered to do what you do, but at the same time, take your lumps, take your, your mistakes and, and learn from them. Oh yeah. Everybody's going to make their mistakes. I remember writing a piece 
uh, probably about 18 months ago. Wow, time goes fast. And it was like, um, how dare the Boston Celtics lose games? And it was very much a, a thought piece. It was just kind of like a stream of consciousness. The Celtics had lost a few games after a winning start. I think it was uh, towards the beginning of last season. So that would be the 2019-20 season. And I remember just saying, like, they had a really strong start and it feels like a bit of an overreaction to be frustrated with a four or five game losing streak. Mm. And the comments were like, wow, this is a really condescending piece. And then (laughs) I went back and read it and I was like, boy, it really is a condescending piece. So you, you learn to kind of take that feedback into account. And luckily, that's the only time I've had that type of feedback. But it's definitely being able to take that step outside of yourself and look at it through like a third party lens. Sure, sure. Which leads us on to, I think we've done enough memory lane. I'm sure that uh, for me, talking about things back in 2004 and then talking about how things have grown since then, I feel old. So um, I'm happy to move on from feeling my age at the moment. And we'll talk about something more modern. And not too modern, we're going to kind of work our way through. We're going to start with Danny Ainge. And obviously, you've covered this team for a very long time at this point. The last few years of Ainge's tenure as president of basketball operations have Come in for some criticism. Maybe some people are looking at it as maybe he was handcuffed by the front office and their unwillingness to spend. Other people look at it as he'd just lost his touch and he was kind of just seeing out his uh, role until he felt time was right to kind of move on. So from your perspective, how do you kind of rank like the last two, three years of Danny Ainge's presidency? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the criticisms are justified. Um, to me, the, the biggest misses have been the the draft capital that he built up and an inability to either consolidate or to kick the can down the road on those draft picks. Um, you know, they, two, three years ago, we were in a position of having a ton of talent on the, on the team, um, whether, you know, that talent didn't co- coalesce very well, but, you know, we were still in a position where we were coming off of Eastern conference finals and, having all these draft picks as, as, as leverage for trades. And we, at some point, you know, it, it, it seemed like two or three years in a row, it was like, he can't use all these draft picks. He, he couldn't possibly use them all. And maybe he traded one or two or used a couple on draft and stashes and stuff like that. But for the most part, he just used all the draft picks. And to me, that's a, a big, you know, talent drain. And, and it's a, a lack of, or, or a miss on, on the, the assets that you had um, granted, you know, there's still opportunities for these young players, you know, namely, you know, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, um, Peyton Pritchard to turn into something greater than, than the draft picks that they were. Um, and so that element of it will have to be judged, not now, but in three, four five years, but um, I still kind of see it as an opportunity loss where they could have brought in, you know, a, a trade for a, an impact person, or at least kick the can down the, the road further and and maintain those assets for future use. Um, in terms of you know Danny Ainge as a whole, though, I mean, like myself, he's been he was around for a long time, so he's going to have his his uh, if you section off any one particular era, you know, three years here, three years there you'll find some hits and misses, you know, obviously around 2007, 2008, it was a one big, huge home run. Um, the, the, the rebuilding times that he went through, um, whether it be before 2008 or after the, the, the big three were traded away, 
he had a lot of hits. Um, and a lot of that is because it's a different skill set. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're OKC, OKC, then you have Sam Presti, who's the perfect guy to continually be building assets and, and doing that. That's a whole different skill set to, okay, now that you have those assets, how do you go from, you know, getting those stars to building those, building around those stars and making that a, a legit title contender? Um, those are just different um, goals, different, you know, processes that you have to you know, work within certain parameters. So, I'm not trying to let him off the hook here. It's just, it's a, it's a, a different, it's a different animal. So just saying that, you know, Sam Presti won the, the last couple of years because he keeps getting assets for, for trading older players in and out of his system. That's great. But the Celtics aren't in a position to do that. We have too many people on the, on the, on the, on the cap right now. We have title aspirations, even if we're not close to that yet. And we have Tatum and Brown. So we're not going to waste years of their life by shuttling assets in and out. At least I hope not. And that's kind of where, for me, Danny Ainge made that mistake, right? Like you said, he didn't kick the can down the road. He didn't um, kind of consolidate those picks into an impact player or a star. It felt like he was constantly big game hunting because he knew what he had on his hands in Tatum and Brown. And that big game hunting, just every harpoon he threw missed and Moby Dick just never got caught. And it's it is frustrating to kind of look at it that way. But when you look at the picks he did trade, they ended up being ones that could have been super impactful. Desmond Bain comes to mind, especially with the recent uh, MS Panzer acquisition. Yeah. And then some of the and you can never expect somebody to hit on every draft pick, especially when it's the Celtics and you're picking later in rounds sometimes. So you know Carson Edwards being a prime example there. It it is tough to navigate, but that kicking the can down the road that to me is where the biggest. Uh, mistake was made because at the moment when the Celtics are trying to in my opinion it's kind of like a competitive rebuild again they're trying to stay competitive to entice Brown and Tatum to continue being happy in their in their surroundings and with the team but also trying to make those moves to have that flexibility to go big game hunting once again those draft assets would have been huge in any potential um, trade discussions so yeah. that's the only downside for me in the last few years of Angie's presidency. I think that everybody, for me, I feel like everybody kind of sweeps under the rug how quickly he rebuilt the team. I know that Brooklyn Nets not being good after the big trade kind of really helped there. But he also made really smart moves at that point in time. And you point to Sam Presti, kind of wheeling and dealing and collecting assets. Aiden did very similar things during like the Amir Johnson, Marshawn Brooks kind of era of the Boston Celtics really early on in that rebuild. So I think he did really good things to begin with, but just became very obsessed with that big game hunting in those last two or three years, and it really cost the Celtics some continuity. Yeah, and, and even some of those big game hunting era times, the you know some of the decisions he made to not land some of those big stars were were you know, panned and, and second guessed at the time. Hey, we missed out on Jimmy Butler. Hey, we missed out on Kawhi Leonard, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, keeping in mind that the, the picks that he held on to and sometimes the young players he held on to were guys like, you know, Jalen Brown and the pick that became Jason Tatum. I mean, the, some of those decisions actually panned out to the better. Uh, it's just that we didn't land the, the other star or actually we did land other stars he did make a big move to get Kyrie Irving. That blew up in our face. He did land a star in, in Kemba Walker. That blew up in our face. He did land a big star in, in um, Gordon Hayward. 
that blew up in his ankle. <laughs> it's morbid, but it, that these things happened, and there's only so much you can do about that. And that's that's really fair. I mean, the Kyrie Irving thing was just an insane ride within itself, as is any time that you're following Kyrie Irving within the league. Gordon Haywood, for me, was completely unfortunate. And then I just feel like sometimes a player never fully recovers from an injury, whether it be mental or it be physiological. There's just always that that drop-off in talent. And then other times you'll see someone like KD that comes back better than they ever were. It is a dice roll. It's almost the same as drafting a player when you're waiting to see how they come back from injury and how they rehab. Right. So from there, I kind of I agree. Like Ainge did make the moves everybody wanted. But for some, for one reason or another, they just didn't stick the way you would hope they would. And that's always a risk when trading for a guy. The continuity gets shook up a little bit. The bedding in process takes time sometimes. It's really difficult to bring a new guy in, especially a star who's going to demand a high usage rate and then expect to hit the floor running. Yep. Which leads us to the present day Celtics, where we have the former head coach, now president of basketball operations, Mr. Brad Stevens, and his moves at the moment, which feel very much like positioning himself to go big game hunting. I feel like there's a theme here. How do you feel about this? Do you feel like he's just trying to add flexibility or is he definitely all in on this Bradley Beal train that everybody seems to just be completely sold on right now? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the elephant in the room, and it's quickly going to be a, a conversation piece that's going to get, you know, if we're already talking about this in, in August of this year, how, how is this going to play out through the entire season and, and into next year? You, you know, this is going to go through several different phases. Like, we've already seen this with AD in the past and, and other folks where, you know, People are going to be asking Beal all the time, hey, what's this about you going to Boston? And, and he's going to be, get tired of hearing about it. And he's going to go through a phase where he's, he distances himself from it and, and tries to squash it in the media. And says, like, look, everybody's making too much of this. And everybody's going to forget about it for a little while. And then something else will come out. And another rumor will happen. And all of a sudden, we'll be back on the, the Beal train. This story, this narrative is going to have its own roller coaster ride for the next year or, or whatever, however long it is. Um, and it, you know, it's totally legitimate too, because there's nothing in stone that says that Beal's going to come over here. Now, maybe Brad and, you know, Tatum and, and Beal have all had conversations behind the doors that we don't know about the, where it's all set up and, and not in writing, but in a handshake, wink, wink deal, but we don't know that. And, and things like that can blow up it as well. So let's not put the cart before the horse here. Um, I think what, what Brad is trying to do, I guess, is, is to have enough flexibility to be the, be the player in that. He, he's not going to give up on a, a Jalen Brown in order to go get Bradley Beal right now, even if that was an, an option on the table. He's going to try to have his cake and eat it too next summer, which means the opportunity cost of this year is kind of, I don't know about throwing out the door, but it's, 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 you know, it very much feels like a bridge year to, to the next year. Um, or maybe it's at the trade deadline. If, if something happens where either Beal or, say, you know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns or some other star becomes disenfranchised with his franchise and, and wants to go somewhere else, we've got the, the ability to say, here's a bunch of expirings, here's a few picks, and here's a few young players. We'll, we're, we're in the bidding for this. So he's, he's positioning himself. Um, so but that does definitely mean this coming year – feels like a lateral move at best 
um, in terms of, of the, 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 the product on the floor, if you will. So the problem with me for kind of trying to have your cake and eat it too is I call it the Marie Antoinette syndrome where you're actually trying to say something in a way that you want. You're trying to say like, hey, they can just eat cake. And it comes across as, well, just let them eat cake. And for Brad, it's, hey, we're going to try and make a run at Bill next season. And for fans, it's like, but first of all, you have to get through a really bad season. And right. I just feel like that's really hard to stomach from a fan perspective because a year's a long time, especially like if you look at it, it's like one, one you get 80 years, you're going to spend one of them, say on average, you get 80 years of life. You're going to spend one of them just watching a terrible product on the floor. And I know <laughs> that sounds extreme, but from a fan perspective where everything's, Short term, you don't need that long term thinking, that long term planning that goes into running an organization like that. It, it's a really tough thing to stomach. And that's where I consider these moves to be the smartest possible option. But also for the majority of people following the team, it's the most frustrating option available. Yeah. And I, I guess the other thing I'm kind of trying to keep in mind, and at least the perspective of basketball isn't done on paper. You know, I can jot down on a piece of paper that, you know, Kemba, Fournier, Tristan, and Semi are all out, and they're replaced by Josh Richardson, Al Horford, Cantor, and Chris Dunn. And to me, that seems like, you know, we're, we're replacing one group of veterans with another group of veterans, and we'll see how that works. If, if anything, we're just, you know, one year older in terms of the young guys. But, you know, this is not going to be the same team as it was last year. It's not going to be simply a lateral move. There's going to be guys that make advances in their game. Tatum and Brown haven't, haven't capped out on their talent yet. I mean, all the young guys, Pritchard, Neesmith, Romeo, um, they've all got a chance to take a step forward. We've got a new head coach in, in town that's going to create a, you know, I do think that, there's something to be said for the, the, the locker room starting to tune out uh, Brad Stevens just because they've heard the same thing over and over again. Not that they, not that he lost the locker room necessarily, but it's just like it's hard to hear the same message from the same guy all the time. So now you bring in Ime Udoka, and he's, he's preaching defense. He's got a few more defenders on the team to, to play with. So that, that's my optimism so, sort of creeping into my analysis, saying, well, hey, we can – roll this thing back with a, with some, some different vibes, if you will, and, and ha take a step forward. Now, the, the, the flip side to that obviously is, Hey, guys could regress. Guys could get hurt. Guys could not blend together. Like they, like we would hope for guys could be seeing the writing on the wall and say, Hey, are, are we all just fodder for a, 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 a Beal trade or going to be cut loose at the end of the year? Because, um, you know, someone like Beal is coming in at the end of the year. That's that's possible too. That's something you got to wor worry about. So next year is a whole different thing, and that's why we have a uh, that's why we have the blog so we can debate about it endlessly. I really like the way you kind of pull it from like a, a player perspective, like that human perspective, because one of the big things is as well like when you look at team building, team chemistry, and that camaraderie that they can build over multiple years together is insanely underrated, in my opinion, once you get to the to playoffs and your back's against the wall. And I look at teams like Denver Nuggets that have been down 0-2 uh, in multiple series and then come back to winning Game 6 or Game 7 because they just stuck together and they were such a cohesive unit. And when you know or you, you're kind of aware that your time in, the, in this team is only a one-year stopgap, 
it's kind of hard to buy into a team's success knowing that no matter what happens, you're not here next year. So I feel like that's part of the issue that Udoka is going to have to try and navigate and get people to buy in when everybody feels like they are on eggshells and it is just a short-term stay for them. Yeah, and it's it's tough too. I mean, you never, you you cannot, you simply cannot predict how this will go. I mean, me as an outsider looking in, I thought the addition of Kemba Walker to this to this team was the perfect locker room guy to come in and wash the taste of Kyrie Irving's tenure, whether it be just about him or or, or not. The he's the perfect guy, the antidote to to whatever happened before. And now we get some reports afterwards that maybe he and and either Mark Smart or, or the head coach didn't, didn't necessarily see this eye to eye on all things. Like how, who could have predicted that? Like who could have foreseen that happening? Um, I don't know if, if adding in theory, adding Al Horford to this locker room is going to be a solidifying soft, like, you know, presence, but it didn't quite work out that way for the, the Sixers did it, you know, so you can't guarantee that either. So it, it's, <laughs> there's a reason why the head coaches are paid a lot of money and, and they're held accountable for um, the team's losses because it's a hard job. Now, I reckon there's going to be about 30% of listeners to this show right now that are going to be screaming in their car, at their stereo, wherever they are, that the issue is Marcus Smart because he is the most polarizing guy on the team. <laughs> and obviously 70% of people are going to be shaking their head with me even bringing this up. But in, for the value of fairness and trying to appease all the listeners, how much would you say that Marcus Smart could be part of the problem due to the way his personality is and how competitive and fiery he is as an individual? 43.247%. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, he, he's, he is a polarizing guy. And I, here's, the, here's a, my perspective on him. Just because there's 30% of the fans out there that hate him and, and 75 or 70% of the fans out there that, that, absolutely love him and, and live and die by him. You know, the, the people in that locker room may share those feelings internally by themselves. Like they may have days when they're just so sick of, of Marcus smart and the, and the stuff that he does, the shots that he takes and the, and sometimes the, you know, the overbearing attitude that he might have on certain days. But then on the other hand, they also love him and everything that he, he, he is part of. And they love the attitude and, and the energy that he brings to the court and, the, the fact that he's going to take shots and not, not shy away from a big moment. Like there's, there's, you have to take the good and the bad with Marcus smart or why, are, what are we even doing here? Right. So I, I think that there's, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not in the locker room. I have no idea how these people think about him and maybe some of the, 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 the rumblings out there are true, but at the same time, no one's perfect. No one's going to come in here and, and be, you know, well, Said another way, there's only so many Tatums and Browns out there. We have to have role players that we put in around them. And to me, I, I love the energy that, that Marcus Smart brings, even though I'm fully aware of his limitations and, and the things that he's not extra great at. So at some point, um, you know, if, if his price tag gets beyond what the Celtics are, are willing to pay, then we're all going to have to come to the, to the realization that, that Marcus's um, time here is, is limited but I hope not. You know, I hope that he can come up with he and the team can work out some sort of extension or, or at least something that um, that makes sense a year from now. Um, I kind of like I vacillate back and forth in terms of his extension. Really, I'd love to get him locked up because 
personally, I think even if the, the Beal situation becomes available next year, you could find a team that would take smart even on the extension numbers uh, off your hand and, and for, for no, no cost, or you could include him in a sign-in trade of some sort. So I don't think it's a, a deal breaker if we actually end up you know, signing Marcus to, a, to an extension. On the other hand, he's, he's going to want to get paid. And is he going to be, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it's tough. Like I said, I go back and forth on him all the time. He is the, the most polarizing guy on the roster. I don't think I see as many back and forths and as many stands and complete haters as I, as I do with Marcus Smart. It's quite funny, especially like I'm super online. So I'm Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, ready. And it's the same no matter where you go, any corner of the internet you're going to get people for and against Marcus. And I think you're taking kind of the middle road, which I think is the safest bet because you just don't know how Smart's going to play ball with Ime Udoka, who projects to have quite a large and competitive personality. And maybe there's issues there. Maybe they work really well together. Everything seems to just be very fluid at the moment and questions can you can create questions out of questions so it is a really tough situation uh, to, to try and analyze so being in that and actually living that must be incredibly frustrating too yeah and, and that's why I, you know that's where i land is like you don't know you don't how, know how all these personalities are going to play out and that's that's why we watch the games to see how it works out it's it's not done on paper we have to figure out how how this thing is going to um, blend together as we as the, the team takes the floor next year. And then I just want to go down one final fourth exercise before I kind of ran the show out and let everybody get on with their day, let you get on with your afternoon yep, and my evening. And this, this thought kind of process is something that I've been toying with over the last 72 hours or so. And that's when I'm looking at Washington, they're doing something that most other teams don't do. And that is knowing one of their star player is kind of, positioning himself to be very flexible in where he ends up on his next contract. That's normal. You've seen that with New Orleans and Anthony Davis. You saw it with Kawhi Leonard and San Antonio. But Washington have taken a different approach. They've recognized the risk of losing Bill next season or possibly in season this year. And they've made moves to kind of enter a competitive rebuild to become a more competitive team now, give Brad Bradley Bill tastes of what they're capable of achieving in a few years down the line placating him by bringing him one of his best friends in KCP. Is there a chance that Beal kind of stays with Washington because he, he sees the vision and the progress they're making and the moves they've done to keep him? And if so, do you have your eyes on another player around the league that you feel could become disgruntled that would fit the Celtics and they flip all of these short-term deals mid-season for a big move? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think Washington's probably taking the right approach at this point. Um, I would argue that they should have made different moves in the last several years, but hey, new regime, new new chance to to make their their stamp on things. Um, and, and certainly, there's a chance that Beal could could um, decide to to hang on there. He's got a few hundred million reasons uh, in terms of a, of a supermax or whatever you call it that, that he could sign and, and just stay for the money if, if nothing else. Um, you could always ask for, ask out in the future. <laughs> doesn't that signing that extension doesn't necessarily um, stop anybody from asking out these days either. So, um, so I think Washington's going about it the right way. And there's certainly, like I said before, there's a chance that this, the, the, the Beal plan doesn't work out. So Danny Ainge and, and, and team better have a, a second option or a plan B, C, D, whatever. Um, and I do think, you know, a lot of that is 
um, you know, waiting on the next guy, whether it be Carl uh, Anthony Towns or a um, uh, Levine out in Chicago or, or whomever. Um, you, it's, it, the new name comes up every six months, and sometimes they're completely surprising names, and you, you just have to you know, weigh the pros and cons of, of going out and getting them. Uh, but you have to put yourself in position to get them. Like this summer, we have no ability to go out and get a superstar. I mean, it, we, we, unless we're willing to give up Jalen Brown, and by all accounts, we are not, we're not getting a Dame Lillard, you know? So if you look at it that way, it only makes sense to put yourself in position for the future. Um, so, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll see what plan B, C, D is if, if plan A doesn't work out and then you have to be able to, to be flexible on that. So we'll see. This is the part of the show now where usually I would say to somebody, Hey, if you want to plug your stuff, then go and let everybody <laughs> know where they can find you. I can't do that right now because everybody knows where to find you. Uh, I agree with the plan A, B, and C, by the way. And I feel like there should be multiple names on Brad Stevens' shortlist, not just one. And I'd hope that he, obviously, I'd assume that he knows more than us. So mm-hmm. he's probably got 10 or 12 people on his list that we, he's playing checkers while we're thinking he's playing chess. <laughs> now, yeah, and I'm, I'm excited too, just for the, for the subplots of next year too. Like I, I, I legitimately want to see what Rob Williams is with relatively a, a clean bill of health with a, in a contract year and, and things like that. I want to see Pritchard get more, more experience. I, I want to see what, what Romeo looks like on the, on the, on the floor and, and Neesmith as well. I mean, and there's still some hope out there for Grant Williams. So like, I want to see these guys develop and, you know, how much time are they going to get with the, with the veterans coming in? I don't know, but at the same time, there's going to be opportunity for them there. So there's a lot of things that, that still have to play out that, that could be interesting this year that could change the dynamics next year. If you could choose one, we'll end on this. If you could choose one rookie, to have a breakout season or one sophomore or third year, so just one of the young guys, who would it be? Who would you see making the biggest leap? Um, well, I'm going to exclude Rob Williams from it just because he's kind of already had his mini breakout and he certainly could continue growing. But for the younger, younger guys, I'd probably say Neesmith um, has a chance to be just an ideal 3 and D type of wing um, that would plug and play on any team that would really be a, a – either a really great piece for the Celtics to, to, to have and, and to continue building around or to package in a trade, not necessarily saying he's an, an Al Horford, you know, part of the KG trade um, driver, but he's certainly a piece that people could, you know, really um, you know, gravitate towards as, as a trade chip. As a tr- I, I see with me, I see Neesmith's value kind of exponentially higher than when he first came into the league. Um, I, I, I've said on this show hundreds of times at this point, he came in as a spot-up shooter. He's kind of finished the first year as a potential two-way wing. Uh, I think that holds weight a lot of value there. So as much as it hurts, I do see any big trade most likely including Neesmith, simply because Romeo's injuries and the fact he has the highest ceiling but lowest floor out of that group kind of just makes him too much of a risk for a team to take back if they're blowing things up. So I'd agree that Neesmith is most likely to make that jump. I'd also like to really wish that Jan Madar was going to come in and just have the Luka Doncic effect and light guys up, but it's just not realistic, is it? <laughs> well, we, we want the best for all these guys, and we want their, their, the best um, version of themselves. So we can always, we can always dream. 
Right, Jeff, I want to thank you for jumping on, man. Um, I'm sure everybody's enjoyed listening. Again, as you said, the people don't hear or see from you much because voice, face for radio. Obviously, <laughs> we're doing this with no camera because both of us feel the same way. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the way that's going to work. Um, for everybody listening, if you've enjoyed the show, please make sure to leave that five-star written review on Apple devices. It helps us out greatly. It makes me feel really good when I read nice things about myself, obviously. If you don't have an Apple device, please use word of mouth, friends, family, guys at work, at the water cooler, Uber driver, whatever it may be. Even a waiter, if he's wearing a Celtics t-shirt, let him know. Or her, sorry, she's wearing a Celtics t-shirt, let her know too. We'll be back again on Monday. Again, Jeff, thank you very much for jumping on. Uh, from me personally, thank you very much for the platform, uh, for, for, in both written and audio terms. Always grateful, I'm sure I let you, I'm, I try and let you know that every time we speak. Uh, everybody have a great Friday. Thanks, Adam. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that